Okay. Thank you very much for joining and welcome. I guess a little bit of an explanation is in order. So why are we doing this class this way this week? So as those who were here in person in the class last week, you know I wasn't feeling great. You could hear it in my voice and see it in my face. And I tested for COVID last Tuesday before the class and came back negative. This weekend, I started to have a cough on Saturday, Sunday night. And so on Monday, I tested for COVID. And this time it was positive. So Baruch Hashem, we feel okay. So no need to text and say, oh Rabbi, how you feeling? Because Baruch Hashem, we're feeling basically fine. A little headache, a little cold, but nothing much more than that. Um, and so therefore, we couldn't do the class in person this week. But hopefully next week we'll be back in person. We'll be back in the shul hopefully by Shabbat time. The CDC rules only require five days. So hopefully the five days are over by the time Shabbat comes. So I just want to thank you for those that are watching live, for those that will be watching um, tonight or over the weekend um, over the internet. And thank you very much for those, and I apologize to those that maybe didn't get the message and came to the shul and saw a sign and realized that it wasn't happening. And if you came from a little distance, I apologize even more. We did our best to get the word out, but I know we did not do a perfect job. So thank you very much for joining online. And hopefully we'll do a basically a regular class. Just I'm doing it from my house. If you remember, if you followed during the COVID days, we did classes from this living room. So we're back doing a class on this living room today. And like I said, Bizat Hashem next week, whatever the date is, January 5th, hopefully Bizat Hashem will be back in person in my father's shulim to finish Shaul. So also today's class is dedicated by Ronnie Tao, who has dedicated a number of classes this year, in memory of Henry Tao, Aaron Ben Pauline, and in memory of, of Rita Sa'en Alea Shalom Sarabat Pauline. So thank you, Ronnie. You're a great friend. You're very much a, 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 a unbelievably dedicated and committed member to servicing our community throughout your many, many years. And Hashem should give you beracha that you should watch your children do the same. And children all experience tremendous beracha and watch them also service the community the way their father does. So you're a great man for our community. Anyone who knows you is honored to do so, honored to know you and knows that literally every interaction with you elevates someone. It's always intelligent, smart, and dignified. And so we hope this not Hashem Hashem gives you many, many more years to continue the service you've already begun. Okay, so here we go. Here's our topic for today. So, here's our topic for today. If you're paying attention at all to what's going on in the Jewish world, this story has crossed your desk or has some way come to your phone. It's a story of allegations of something that may have happened in Israel to someone who's a famous writer of books and that there's a a claim that maybe he committed some egregious, egregious sins with children. And eventually many stores stopped selling his books. People, some people took their books off the shelves of their homes. And ultimately this man, a couple of days ago on Monday morning, took his own life. 
today, I have no idea about whether the stories are true or not. Zero idea. And in no way in this class are we going to try to address whether they're true or not. And I don't even know how to approach a situation where you're not sure. There are many that say that there's for sure guilt. There are many others that say innocent until proven guilty. There are many people that say it's, it's extreme last on how to discuss it. And there are other people that say it's a suit to have the books on their shelves. I have no opinion in that regard. You need much greater people than me. But what our class is about today, and we're not going to address the story at any point further in this class. I don't even think we're going to allude to the story, hopefully, at any point further in the class. But what hearing this story over the last month did to a lot of us is it scared us. It scared us when you think, and you've heard other type stories over the years across the from religious Jewish community, and it scares you. Can this type of thing really happen? Are people really susceptible to being that bad? Can someone who's known as being so good do possibly do something that is so bad? And like I said, this story, I don't know the level of verification. I know as much as you, probably even less than you. But there are other stories that have been verified over the years of situations like this that actually ended up being true. And every time a story like that happens, I don't know about you, but it frightens the daylights out of me. Because just like when you hear, God forbid, that something tragic happens, whether we like it or not, our initial response is to say, one second, could other people get that? Could that disease happen to somebody else? Could that happen to somebody else? And you automatically check yourself to make sure, no, no, that's impossible to happen. No, that was genetic. Oh, at least it was genetic. Nothing to do with me. Oh, that person was born with it. Oh, okay, at least it was, they were born with that. Nothing to do with me. And with stories like this, we also like to try and find a way. Oh, there was a disorder. There was some mental imbalance. Something happened in their youth. Something happened to him. Nothing to do with me. But the reality is that I think when a story like this does happen, we're obligated to be a little afraid. Because... When a story like this is in the news, whether it's true or not, there's a lesson to be learned. And the lesson that we're going to learn is based on a Gemara in Masechet Kiddushin. The Gemara tells a story, and I think that this story is a very important one. You know, it's funny, the heat in my own house is distracting me. I can make it much lower than my short line. So, the lesson that we can learn, I think, is from a powerful, powerful story, Masechi Kiddushin, and I'm going to tell you in advance, this story initially is going to sound extremely, extremely far-fetched. And even, God forbid to use the word, strange. But I believe that in this story has a powerful, powerful lesson that's very worthwhile to hear all the details of the story. But like I said, as you're hearing it, you're going to say, what, 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 what? And then you're going to hear the message of it, and you're going to say, wow, yes, 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 yes. 
The Gemara tells a story about a great sage. This is on the last, the second to last page, the Pe'alif HaMasecha Kiddushi. The great, great rabbi's name was Plimo. Not a name you heard often. But Plimo used to say, Gira Be'enezesetna, arrows in the eyes of the Satan. The Satan, the Yitzhara, the evil inclination, you could put an arrow in the guy's eyes. He's garbage. Yomahad one day, says the Gemara, Male Yomed Kippuri, it was Erev Yom Kippur. And the Satan, this Yetzirah himself, dressed up Ke'anya, like a poor man. And so, the poor man comes to the house of Plimo, it's really the Yetzirah, dressed like a poor man, comes to the house of Plimo, says the Gemara, Kara'a he knocks on the door, because he's a poor man. Plimo opens the door, sees a poor man by the door, and hands him a piece of bread. The Satan, this poor man dressed like the Satan, comments. He says, Yomakia inna, a day like today, Kuli it's Yom Kippur. Everyone's in the house, everyone's eating, everyone's praying for the holiday. Everybody's inside, you're leaving me outside. Don't you feel bad for me? I'm a poor man. You just give me bread and let me go. It's Erev Yom Kippur. Aile, Plimo says, okay, come into the house. And gives him bread, like, you know, like on the kitchen table. So Plimo's whole family is eating on the dining room table, Erev Yom Kippur, before they're going to go to shul. And this poor man is sitting on the kitchen table eating his bread. Now the poor man comments. He says, everybody else is sitting at the dining room table on a day like today. You're going to leave me in the kitchen by myself? I'm going to be by myself? So Plimo says, okay, come sit at the table. He starts to sit at the table. And the Gemara comments. He sits at the table and all of a sudden his whole body is full of boils and pus. Disgusting. And he starts to do mili dimais. He starts to do disgusting things. So now Plimo says to this poor man who was once at the door, now is in the house, then at the table, now at his own table. And now this man is, is, is disgusting looking. He's got boils, he's got pus, and he's doing disgusting things. Plimo says to him, team, sit straight. The man says, give me a cup. So Plimo brings him a cup. The man takes the cup and he starts to spit all the junk from his mouth into the cup. Excuse me for the disgusting details of the story. He starts to spit all the disgusting into the cup. Plimo says to him, What are you doing? Sit up! And the man all of a sudden falls to the side and dies. Word goes out in the street, says the Gemara. Plimo katal gabra. Plimo katal gabra. Plimo killed someone. Plimo killed someone. Plimo doesn't know what to do. Before, why, he, first he had a poor man at the door. All of a sudden he's a murderer. He runs away. Runs to the outhouse back in the day. The bathrooms weren't in the house. The restrooms were outside. Runs to out of the town to an outhouse. Hides in the outhouse. The Satan, this poor guy, comes running after Plimo and reveals his identity. He says, the whole time it was just me. It was just the Yetzirah. It was just the Satan. So Plimo says, why'd you do this to me? He says, because you always used to say, put an arrow in the eyes of the Satan. He says, so what should I have said, says Plimo. Satan says, he should have said, Hashem, the God of mercy, should help me with the Satan. 
What in the world is this story about? Plimo also, the man at the door, phlegm, spitting into a cup, boils, the guy dies. It's a very strange sounding story. So if you read the Gemara and Kiddushin and you just read the Gemara and Rashi, you'll say, wow, this story sounds very, very out there. But if you cherish the words of our rabbis and understand that our rabbis in the Gemara have so much power in their words, you realize that this story is so meaningful and incredibly relevant. What's the Gemara telling you? The Gemara is telling you that Plimo used to like knock this Yitzhara, like, oh, I got this guy covered. You could put arrows in his eyes as a joke. Nazi garbage. And you know what happens? Here's what the Yitzhara does. He first comes in like a poor man. I'll give you five temptations that exist in the world that this is true by all five. One is gambling. The other one is drugs. Three, that's two. Number three is alcohol. Number four is woman or promiscuity. I don't want to say woman, God forbid. It's not, nothing wrong with the woman, but promiscuity, man and woman, inappropriate actions and the internet. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, um, promiscuity, and the internet. Five temptations that exist in the world today that every, oh, many people are susceptible, everyone in the world is susceptible to at least one or two or three of those. And some people are susceptible to all five. And in all situations, the person starts up as they're young and they say, I got this covered not a big deal. I'm not going to do anything crazy. And then you know what it does? Each one of these temptations come to our door and knock on the door like a poor man. Just please give me a little bit of bread. A woman, else, a, a person, just please let's have a conversation. Or let's bring this internet into your house and just watch a few things. Or you know what? Just gamble just a little bit. Nothing crazy. Super Bowl, a couple of football games. Nothing nuts. Have some alcohol at the, you know, with your friends on a Thursday night. It's not a big deal. And the next thing you know, he asks for a place in your house and then for a place at your table. And next thing you know, start disgusting things start to happen. All of a sudden, your, your gambling dollar amounts that you didn't expect. And now you're lying to people to cover it up. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're making funny claims. And then you're, you're, you, you, don't, you, you have poverty, you, you're in situations you didn't expect. And then all of a sudden a person has done internet and now they're on it for hours and hours and hours. And they're looking at things they really never anticipated that they'd ever be looking at. And they're shocked at themselves. And they say, okay, give me a little help. Give me a cup. So you, take, you give the Yetzirah a cup. You say, okay, I'm going to help you. And then you take the help. You take the help and you ruin that too. Someone gives you money because you wasted it all on gambling and then you take that money and destroy it too. You take the cup and you spit in the cup. And then what happens is next thing you know, your life is a mess. And you're like, how this happened? How did this happen? The answer is you open the door. The answer is, once you open the door, he keeps growing and growing and growing. In all five of these areas. The message of the story 
is very clear. Is it clear? The message of the story is incredibly clear. Now, what does that mean? So that means that every person who opens the door to anything is susceptible to all kinds of dangers. So that means I have to be extreme on all levels. No, that's not what it means. I think there are two lessons that come out of this Gemara that are powerful and important to make our point. Lesson number one is that always understand that we're weak. Never say arrows in the eyes of the Satan. Arrows in the eyes of the Satan means I got this. Never ever act that way. We're weak to every temptation. Everybody has weakness towards these things. Everybody needs to admit that they're weak. You may not be weak in all five, but you're weak to a few of them. Admit that you're weak. That's number one. Number two is once you admit you're weak, you need to know that in the areas of your weakness, don't have the battle at your dining room table. Have the battle at the door. That means be careful on taking the first step. Because if you're, let's use a good example, if you're susceptible to alcoholism, to becoming an alcoholic, be careful about the first sip. Because that's where the danger lies. If you're susceptible to becoming an avid gambler, be careful at the first dollar. No one ever lost their life on a dollar. No one ever lost their future on, on one bet. But you let him in the door. And once you let him in the door, there's no telling how far he can go. Especially if it's something that you are susceptible to. So what does that mean? So now I have to doubt everyone? No. Don't doubt everyone. Do I have to doubt myself? No and yes. No, you don't have to doubt yourself because just because you allow the Satan in the door doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become an epic mess. And many of the things I, I just enumerated, the five examples I just gave, there are plenty of people who have, have done the first step or the second step. They've taken some drinks. They maybe even tried drugs. They've even they've, they've gambled a little bit. Maybe had a conversation they shouldn't have had. But it doesn't mean that necessarily they're going to become a disaster. But pay attention to each step. Pay attention to each step. You have the internet in your home, watch it. Does it belong there? If it belongs there, does it need to be protected? If it needs to be protected, is that good enough? Does it need to be around my kids? Do I need to have it in my bed when I go to sleep at night? Do I need to have, do I have to have limitations on myself? If you're not constantly watching this poor man, Next thing you know, catastrophe can strike. And any one of these stories that we've ever heard of good people or supposed good people that end up doing horrible things, almost always, Plimo is the story. Almost always, they didn't realize how susceptible, how vulnerable they were to a given temptation. And they opened the door. And then they didn't realize that all of a sudden this Yetzirah is making moves on their table and then to their table. And they didn't realize when it moved to the kitchen table, then it moved to the dining room table. They didn't pay attention. One second, this is growing. I better kick him out of the house. And now all of a sudden it starts to create boils, so to speak. And they're seeing disaster happening and they're not making the move. You know, many communities make blanket rules, blanket rules. Shouldn't have TV in your house. Shouldn't have internet in your house. 
shouldn't have a smartphone or shouldn't allow certain channels or if you have one, it has to be filtered. And for many communities, those rules are very valuable. I'm not here to tell you you have to do it or tell you you shouldn't do it. We talk to a broad audience. I'm not making that statement. But what I am saying is you need to know your own rules. You need to know where your weakness lies. And if you don't know where your own weakness lies, then any, then you're susceptible to anything. But if you know your own weakness, then you could slowly make the moves that are necessary to protect yourself. And when all of a sudden you realize, one second, how'd this poor guy end up at my table? How did this situation end up more involved in my life than I anticipated? Do something then. I'll give you an example. I've given this example, a personal example, a million times in my classes. I like junk food. I stopped, I started, I stopped, I started, I stopped, I started. And I recently realized, probably realized before recently, but recently commented to myself and to my wife. I said, you know what? I'm not really so bad with junk food 23 and a half hours of the day. I'll take a cookie here, a candy here, nothing that's in any way a big deal. I said, there's one spot that I'm susceptible. Right before I go to sleep, I all of a sudden get a crave for that, for snacking. I said, I need to be most careful about that half hour. Because that half hour at night, right before I go to sleep, that's where my weakness is. That's where the poor man could walk into the door and convince me to have potato chips and candy and cookies and drink, all kinds of things that I shouldn't be having. I need to know myself. As important as these blanket rules are, personal rules are equally as important. And for different communities, those blanket rules are very, very true. But even after you have the blanket rule, you need to know your own rules. Our Torah gives us blanket rules. Our rabbis have the rules of Yehud. Yehud means you're not allowed to be alone. A man and a woman are not allowed to be alone in a room for any extended period of time. That's a blanket rule. Unless the door is open and a bunch of different exceptions. But you need to know your own rule. For you, it may be further than that. It could be you shouldn't even drive down the block of a certain person. Because you're susceptible. It could be you shouldn't even be in the room with the door wide open. Because you're susceptible. You need to know your boundaries. You need to know the poor people that are knocking on your door. And you need to know what you're most susceptible to. I give an example of something. The Baruch Hashem, I don't think I'm susceptible to in any way. But it was just something that that just hit me. About 23 years ago, I moved into a house. You know, the night, a lot of times you move in, there's no food in the house. So we moved in that night. I went to a local store, I don't know, 7-Eleven, that type of store. It wasn't a 7-Eleven, it was a privately owned, that type of store. You walk into the store to get, I don't know, some snack. I told you I like snacks, pretzels, potato chips, whatever, soda, water to drink, to eat, fruit, whatever. As I'm walking out of the store, I see that they have a whole rack of inappropriate magazines. I said, I don't think I'm susceptible to this, God forbid. But you know what? I'm not walking back into the store. Is there any halakha of not walking into the store? Absolutely not. There's no law. Just avoid the rack. 
but you need to find where your door is and where there's a poor man knocking. And if you're constantly careful of making sure it doesn't enter into the doorway, then you're way more protected than most people. Because most people have poor men, so to speak, walking all over their house. And even so, most of those people don't end up doing anything terribly wrong, but they have vulnerability everywhere. You want to keep yourself protected from any, God forbid, anything like this, just make sure they all stay at the door and you never let them in. I want to give you an example from our parasha. Is the point clear? I want to give you an example from our parasha. Our parasha is parasha vaira. It starts the 10 plagues. In the beginning of the 10 plagues, or throughout the 10 plagues, we start to realize that there is this king called Paro, who frankly, if you're watching it from the side, he's out of his mind. How, how many people could see plague after plague, blood and frogs and lice and wild animals, dead animals, hell, and still have a hardened heart? How do you do that? How do you be that nuts? So I believe that there is a Rashi, that there is a Rashi that simply explains it. And to start off the whole story, it answers the question right away. And it'll make our point once again. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu before the first plague, paro Go to Paro, he's going to the water. Go to Paro, and he's going to be going to the Nile River. Greek Paro at the Nile River. Rashi says, why is Paro going to the Nile River early in the morning? And you all, as kids, heard this Rashi. That Paro believed that he was a god. And so as a god, he believed it was, didn't make sense, they would have to use the restroom. And therefore, he would wake up very, very early in the morning before anyone was up, would go to the Nile River to use the restroom, and then act the rest of the day as if he was godly and didn't need to go to the restroom ever. So believe it or not, I saw one commentary comment, one of the great rabbis today, Moshe Sternbach comment, he says, just think about this process for Paro. He's going to the restroom once a day. That means the stomach hurts, something happens. He's not going to the restroom for the rest of the day. How crazy was this man? Do you realize how much pain he probably put himself into just so he should look godly? And that God was giving Moshe Rabbeinu the understanding of the man you're dealing with right in the beginning. Go to the Nile River and see what this man does. Understand how crazy this man is. Because if this man every day, and every day is going to the Nile for the restroom and not using the restroom the rest of the day, he's a certified lunatic. What happens is you start these little thoughts, I'm better than everybody else, I'm great, I'm greater than even great, I'm untouchable, I'm unbeatable, I'm unconquerable, I am a completely unvulnerable, I am a God. Small little thoughts can make someone into a crazy man. And small little ideas can build and create crazy things to happen. Paro can allow his whole country to be destroyed through 10 plagues because of small crazy thoughts. You need to realize your vulnerability. 
I'll give you another personal example. You know, for a few years, I had a smartphone. And then someone said to me, he says, Rabbi, you know, you really want to be walking around with that all day? I said, to tell you the truth, I don't enjoy it. Between WhatsApp, I never had social media, but WhatsApp and emails and text messages and missed calls, it ends up becoming a lot. So he said to me, Rabbi, I have an idea. How about if you get a flip phone? I said, but I need a smartphone for emails and stuff like that. He says, get a flip phone and work out of both. And for the last few months, that's what I've done. If you come to my class live, you'll see me open a flip phone. So what do I have? I have an iPhone that stays in my house. I check it maybe once or twice a day on a normal day when I'm not stuck home all day. And then I use my flip phone. Now, God forbid, was anything happening on the smartphone? No, I had one app of nonsense that I got rid of about a year ago. Had some sports updates. But you know what? For me, the iPhone leads to stress, leads to distraction, leads to confusion, so many things coming in at once. I didn't want it on me anymore. Should that be your rule? No. You need to find out what you're susceptible to. You need to find out which door your poor man is knocking on. And then you need to shut the door in his face. And you need to make sure that he doesn't come into the house. And whichever way it is for you or for your spouse or for your children. The Gemara is telling us about Plimo to tell us, be careful. Initially, two ideas. Be humble and be ready when the poor man comes to the door. Don't, by the time he's making pus and boils at your table and spitting into the cup, so to speak, that's likely too late. You're way too vulnerable at that point. Stop it early. Let me give you, this is a random example. This is not of any sin or anything like that, God forbid. But it's just an example of what we mean how you can watch things unravel. Again, nothing bad in this way. It's just almost a cute example. So I was on this past sunset in Motzei Shabbat. I got on a plane, flew to Chicago for Agudah Convention to speak at Agudah Convention in Chicago on Sunday morning. Fine, I got this out of Motzei Shabbat. Heard some speeches, met with some rabbis. The next morning, woke up, prayed, gave a little class, and now I had a flight to leave Chicago. And I checked my phone quickly, and the phone said that my flight was at 3.59 p.m. I didn't realize that underneath it, it said 3.59 p.m. Eastern Time, which in Chicago is 2.59 p.m. So I get a call at 2.10. The man from Agadah says, by the way, you realize you have a flight in 50 minutes from now. I said, what do you mean? I thought it's an hour and 50 minutes. He says, no, it's 2.59. I get into the... I get into the car, the driver takes me to the airport. I race, I get the TSA, of course, God forbid to let them cut the line or you have to wait online like everybody. I said, I have a flight in 20 minutes. Wait online to everybody else. I go running, of course, there's a halacha that the flight always has to be on the furthest terminal possible. How come I never had a flight on terminal two? Why is it always my flight on terminal 25? I don't know, but I run, race across the whole O'Hare airport, run to my terminal, and the woman at the desk says, we close the doors 10 minutes before the flight. And you're here eight minutes before the flight. You're too late. I said, man, please, I want to go home. You're too late. Sorry. 
I said, did the plane go away? Yeah, no, no, no. They're just counting the people. I said, so please, sorry. I go catch another flight a half hour later. That flight, get onto the plane. They tell us we're delayed for an hour and a half. So I get home. By the time I get home, I'm exhausted because I barely slept the night before. Didn't eat lunch because I thought I had more time at the convention, so I never grabbed the lunch. I had raced through O'Hare, so I'm exhausted. I sat on a plane way longer than I expected. And I said, one second, my whole day unraveled. The whole day unraveled from me looking at the phone and not being focused enough to register Eastern Standard Time is different than Central Standard Time. And I said, that little moment of lack of concentration at that moment unraveled the whole day. I bet you you've had days like that all the time. We all do. And you realize, one second, I, I missed my flight. I had to go on another flight. I raced through the thing. I had no lunch. I, I had no lunch. I'm waiting on the flight for an hour and a half. I, I get like all that happened just because I was distracted for one minute. The answer is yes. All that happened because you're distracted for one minute. And I'm just using that as an analogy to the serious thing that was, thank God it ended up working out. Hashem wanted me on that flight. It worked out exactly how Hashem wanted me. I got home. I was, everything was great. That dinner was good. The next day I found that I had COVID. But Baruch Hashem, everything was good. But that's how things happen spiritually too. That sometimes it's one minute of vulnerability that you're not focused enough or paying attention enough that allows the poor man in the door. And you, as I'm speaking right now, you may say, one second, the poor man is in the door of my house. Okay. Which, is he at your dining room table yet? Oh, he's already at the dining room table. So he's already at the dining room table. So have you done anything about it yet? Do something now before it grows. Again, I gave you five vulnerabilities, five temptations that are easy, that are common. Gambling, drugs, alcohol, internet, and promiscuity. What are you doing to make sure that they are not become taking up ownership in your home? And you know how powerful a little moment can be? Or even how catastrophic and disastrous one person can be? In the second of the plagues in our parasha, out of the ocean comes, the Nile, out of the Nile River comes, a tzifardeya, a frog. And as she says, what, what, what does it mean? A frog. A lot of frogs came. He says, no. There was one frog and they kept beating the frog until the frog kept croaking out more and more and more. Hundreds and dozens and hundreds and thousands and thousands of frogs that spread all over Egypt. What's the lesson of that? The lesson is how much catastrophe one frog can bring. How much catastrophe one person can bring from one decision. How much bad can be spread across the world from one person who handles something wrong? And if you're not sure it's true, God forbid, look at Haman, look at Paro, look at Hitler, Yamach Shimon. And I don't want to compare the current day people because I don't know where you stand politically, but there are even people today where you could say, wow, one person in a high position, in a high office, could make decisions that could impact learning, yeshivot, all over the place. And again, I don't mean anything specific, but you have examples here, there, other countries where you could see one politician in a bad spot, in a, in a vulnerable, in a, in a pivotal time that could be like that frog that can make one decision and so much bad can come out. 
So what's the lesson? This is the lesson. The lesson is the next time you hear of a story amongst our nation, and hopefully you never hear such stories again, but they're out there. The next time you hear a story like this, you stop and you say, one second, are people really vulnerable? The answer is no and yes. Thank God, hundreds of thousands of people are in the areas that, that, that are doing good for Am Yisrael, rabbis, teachers, morot, rabbis in school that are all the purest and greatest of people. If we could put the evil in one cup and the good in another, it would outweigh it probably by 100,000 to one or maybe 10,000 to one. But at the same time, every one of those 10,000 or 100,000 people need to stop and look in the mirror and be careful about that Sephardea moment. Be careful of that time when the frog shows up that if they hit it too much, it could turn into something so much bigger than it needs to. Our rabbis famously say, Someone who sees a sota, that's a woman who did something promiscuous in the Beit HaMikdash and she drinks the water and her body explodes. If someone witnesses it, he has to stop drinking wine. And you say, one second, what does the witness have anything to do with stopping to drink wine? The answer is that the witness sees the catastrophe that can result in letting the poor man in the door. He needs to make sure he slams the door on that man. Make sure you're a Nazir, that you don't even drink wine at all for a month. So that you reset your life. So that you make sure that you're extra careful about your vulnerability. Just because you witnessed it, you need to put higher guards. Just because the fact that we have a story that we're talking about and that people know about. I don't even care if it's true or not true. Just because there's a story that's out there, all of us have to stop and say, one second, what am I doing to make sure that I'm one step less vulnerable? What am I doing to make sure that my house is one step more pure? What am I doing to make sure that I am a drop less, even another step less open to some temptation? Even though I think I'm good. Plimo was a great rabbi. He knew he was good. Satan says you were too egotistical towards me. You acted like you were never vulnerable. When you act that way, I've come to show you you're always vulnerable. And this may be the reason why. That same Gemara a few lines before tells a story about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was one of the greatest rabbis of the Mishnah to ever live. Everybody knows that. But the Gemara tells a story that throws you off when you read it. The Gemara tells a story that one day, the Yetzir Hara dressed up like a woman and was atop a tree. The Gemara says Rabbi Akiva climbed halfway up the tree until a voice came out from heaven and said, Rabbi Akiva, if not for the fact that they announced in heaven, be careful with Rabbi Akiva, don't allow him to fall, you would have climbed the whole tree and God forbid you could have committed a sin and you could have been worth two cents. The great Rabbi Akiva, the whole reputation could have fallen apart. Why does the Gemara need to share that with me? Why do I need to read that story? The Gemara never tells me a story about Rabbi Akiva coming close to transgressing Shabbat or forgetting to wear tefillin or eating on kosher. But why do I need stories about Plimo and about Rabbi Akiva? The Gemara tells a similar story about Rabbi Meir, great rabbis. Why do I need to see that? 
Because the Gemara wants you to know, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're one of the greatest men to ever live. You need to act as if you're susceptible. You need to act as if you're vulnerable. Doesn't mean you are. It doesn't mean that if you let the poor man in the house, he's going to take over the house. I, I don't like that implication. Because that implication means everybody's bad. Has shalom. Most people are unbelievably good. But everybody remains good because they're honest about their vulnerability. And they know where their weakness lies. And so I hope our lesson is clear. And that lesson is that when you hear catastrophic stories, you need to stop and recognize how easy that can happen. And therefore, be humble enough that when the poor man comes to the door, shut the door in his face. Thank you.